Uh, good morning. Once again, I think I've said that about three times now, but uh, for those of you that haven't been uh, or that weren't in the service earlier, my name is John and I'm the pastor here. And we are continuing a series called Antenna, which is all about hearing from God. Now, the reason we're doing this series is because uh, this is one of the things that I often wonder and one of the things I get asked most about, how do I hear from God? I have a decision to make. I have to decide whether to do it or to not do it, whether to say it or not say it. I have a big decision of whether I'm going to go here or I'm going to go there, whether I'm going to work here or I'm going to work there. And uh, we all have decisions in front of us all the time. And it's sometimes it can be really hard to hear from God. And now I don't know where you stand on this. I know where I do. I've learned to trust God for the answers to things because I found out that when I do what he wants me to do, it works out a whole lot better than when I do what I want to do. I have determined that I am an idiot, okay? That's my wife. She agrees, okay? It's fair enough. I am... I am foolish and I am selfish and I am short-sighted and God is none of those things. And so I have found time and time again for me that when I do what he tells me to do, it works out. Well, it doesn't always work out the way I want it to, but it always works out for the best. And when I do things the way I want to, it doesn't always work out for the best. And I don't know if you can look at your life and say the same thing, but enough years under your belt, and I think that you will. And so I want to know, when it comes time to make a decision, I want to know what he says. I want to know what he wants. I want to know what's best, because I believe that his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and I don't want anything other than that in my life right now, even though I often will follow my own path, like, like many of us do. So the, the goal for the series is for us to understand the ways that God speaks to us, because for me, I know some people have said that they've had points in their life where they feel like they heard an audible voice from God, and that's fantastic. I'm jealous because I don't think that I ever have. I have never heard like a, like the clouds open up and a voice say, I am the God, thus says the Lord, take that job, that one. That's never happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. That would be fantastic if it had. And if it has, I have a feeling that it's very rare when it does happen. And so it can be a, a difficult thing sometimes to hear from him to understand how that all works. So what we're doing in this series is talking about the ways God speaks to us, how we should approach them, and how we can trust them. Now, the first week in the series was the week we were at the park, and we did a short message, but we talked about the Word of God, because the reality is that everything else can be very muddy. The Word of God, when it's understood and taught correctly, is clear, and it is concise, it is in black and white, and 90% of the decisions I have to make or the problems I face, the answer is right there. I just have to go find it. So we talked about how to trust the Word of God to direct us. And even if it doesn't tell me, do this or do that, it gives me the principles and the things I need to consider in order to make the decision the way God would be honored. So that's step number one. And everything else that we talk about in the series needs to come underneath that one thing. They all must be consistent with biblical interpretation. Because if anything else we talk about in the series isn't consistent with the Bible, God is, does not contradict himself and he does not lie. So if it contradicts the Bible, then we need to set that aside. So we need to run all that back through a biblical filter. But the first week we talked about that. Last week, Ben Collins preached for us, did a fantastic job talking about Jonah, who heard from God. God spoke directly to Jonah and he said, I want you to go preach to this city called Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to do it. He ended up in a fish. It's a whole thing. If you want to know more about that, you can listen to Ben's message. He did a great job. But 
The point is that God spoke directly to Jonah to tell him what he wanted him to do. And sometimes that happens to us, rarely in an audible voice, as I've already said, but he does speak to us through his spirit, which he's put in us. And it's not an audible voice, but it's a leading. And sometimes you'll have a decision to make and you'll feel very clearly, I'm supposed to do this one. The spirit is leading us through that. Okay. That's what we talked about last week. Sometimes though, we have decisions to make and we can't get clarity on either one of those things. You ever been there? I don't know what to do. And I don't know what the Bible says about it. And I don't know what the Spirit's telling me to do. I'm conflicted on this. Thankfully, there are some other ways that God speaks to us to help lead us through these situations. Today, we're going to talk about the next one. And in order to do that, we are going to talk about a guy named Zedekiah. Zedekiah. One of those weird names from the Bible that's very difficult to keep straight. I have a difficult time keeping them all straight. This one is actually pretty easy, though, okay? Zedekiah, you can remember this name, I promise you. You can remember this name from now and forever. And here's how. And what he did. Zedekiah was the last king of Israel. Zedekiah was the last king of Israel. Here's how I remember that. Zed. Right? Our friends across the pond would use the word Z instead of Z for the last letter in the alphabet, right? X, Y, Z. So he's the last. Z is the last letter. Zedekiah is the last king of Israel. Let me give you a little bit of history and how that all happened. And, and uh, I think this stuff is important, and, but I'm going to try and go through it as simply as I can because I'm a simple person, and, and, and again, maybe you are too. So, um, so at one time, Israel was a nation, powerful and united. Uh, they had some great kings, guys like Saul, David and Solomon. Maybe you've heard of them. And things were going really, really well for the nation of Israel. It was probably when it was its height of global power. But Solomon had a son that should have been king, but not everybody was so hot on Solomon's son. There were some, uh, there were some uh, other people that didn't think he was going to make the best king in the world. And so they decided they would find their own king. And this guy rose up. And it's a little confusing because the, both of their names are very, very similar. One is Rehoboam and the other is Jeroboam. I don't know why they did that. They made it very confusing for us. But those are some of those things that make me know that the Bible is true. Because if you were making it up, you wouldn't have made their names so similar. So you had Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And um, there's kind of this battle for power within the nation of Israel. Ultimately, one of Solomon's son is able to hang on to two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they go to the south. It's the southern kingdom. It's called the kingdom of Judah. You may have ever, you may have heard um, Jesus called the Lion of Judah. Have you ever heard that that name for him, the Lion of Judah? It means his line comes from that kingdom. It comes from David to Solomon and down through the kingdom of Judah. Or the, all right. The other guy takes ten tribes. This is this is the revolutionary. All right, who split the nation up? Uh, he takes ten tribes up to the north, and they're called the kingdom of Israel. So this is the time we call the divided kingdoms. So they were once a great nation. They have a civil war. Now there's north and south. Sound familiar, anybody? Sound familiar? And in this case, in this case, the south was the better kingdom. But that's, so we'll, that's a conversation for another day. But uh, so the, they go to the north. Ten tribes go to the north. It's the kingdom of Israel. Um, they don't last very long. Eventually, they are conquered by the Assyrians. They're taken over by the Assyrians. Those are the guys we talked about last week. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So they're very evil, very wicked. They come in, they take over the northern kingdom. It's gone. They're scattered and dispersed. The southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, is led by several kings in succession, ultimately coming down to King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, 
uh, begins to face the wrath of the Babylonians. The Babylonians are beginning to take over the known world, and Jerusalem is next. And so they come into the kingdom of Judah. They surround the city of Jerusalem, and they begin what's called a siege. Now, a siege, when maybe when you think of the word siege, you think about like a medieval movie or Monty Python or something where you're storming the gates, and you know you gather up the whole army, and you clump your coconuts together to sound like horses, and you charge the gates you know what I'm talking about? You've seen the movie. All right. So they charge the gates and, you know, with a big force, you knock down the front gate and you take over the city. That's not what a siege was. A siege was a little more um, refined. A siege was a little more strategic and well-planned. It was a long-range plan. A siege is when an army would surround a city and basically choke it to death. They would cut off all trade. They would cut off all food supplies coming into the city from, from farms and basically force everybody who's in the city to starve until they finally are willing to give up. And sieges don't take a couple days. Sieges take years. And so Babylon has come down and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Zedekiah and all the people are inside the city under the weight of the siege and trying to figure out what do I do? Now, there was no scripture that told Zedekiah what to do. And God was not speaking directly to Zedekiah. So he's sitting there with his hands out going, I don't know. But he had a resource that God had given to him called a prophet. So that's what we're going to pick up today. Um, Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38. If you have your Bible with you, it's somewhere in the middle. Jeremiah th- <laughs> It is, it is roughly, I don't know, it's, a, it's about halfway through your Bible if you're looking for it. Um, of course, we do put all of our scriptures on version events, which you can download on your phone, and uh, we also have them up on the screen for you. But Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. See, Zedekiah needed to know what God wanted him to do. Or at least he was asking God what he wanted to do, whether he was going to do it or not. He wanted to know what God said. And so he had this this guy called a prophet. Now, a prophet, if if you look at the Old Testament, there's two key offices uh, in in my view. One is prophet and one is priest. And I think the simplest way to, to think about a prophet or a priest is that a prophet handles the communication from God to the people and a priest handles the communication from the people to God. Okay, so the, the prophet speaks on behalf of God. The priest uh, he teaches people the law and, and uh, administers the system of sacrifices and uh, repentance and all of that. So a prophet's job is to, God speaks to the prophet, the prophet speaks to the people. So if you wanted to hear what God had to say in your specific situation, that's what you would do. You would go to the, you would go to the prophet and ask them. So that's what he does. He's got a big decision to make and he doesn't quite know what, to do. Have you ever been in a spot like that? You feel like you're stuck? Where you feel like you've got two things in front of you, and, and if you're anything like me, I, I have to have a lot of information before I can make a decision. And I also love to have a consensus of people to help make that decision. I don't like to make decisions in a vacuum. And so Zedekiah, probably feeling lonely and isolated as the king, right, needs to hear. He needs to know, because he doesn't Neither option is good. If he, he understands the power of Babylon, but if he 
if he go if he just stays, if he holds his ground, he's going to go down with the ship and the whole thing's going to go going to be destroyed. But if he surrenders, he's lost his pride as a king is it's not going to let him do that. So he needs to know what he's supposed to do. So he brings in Jeremiah the prophet. All right. Looking at verse 14. The second part of 14. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth, Jerry. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? Because Jeremiah knows how this works. People often didn't like what prophets had to say because prophets didn't say what you wanted them to say. Prophets said what was true. And what's true is often what you don't want to hear. And so Jeremiah is concerned that if he tells Zedekiah exactly what's going to happen, exactly what he should do, that Zedekiah's response is going to be to have him executed. Jeremiah has already been spending some time in prison because of what he's been saying. In fact, he had to be called out of prison to come to King Zedekiah. All right, so he doesn't really want to go back and he doesn't really want to be executed. So he's just making sure. He said, I wanted to, uh, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. Jeremiah's been around the block. He knows how this works. He knows what he has to say isn't what the king is going to want to hear. And so he doesn't think it's likely that the king is even going to do it. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hands of these men who seek your life. So he promised to protect him and opened the door for Jeremiah to share what he should do. He doesn't know. Zedekiah has actually just gotten a little bit of false hope because of something that happened recently. I hadn't mentioned this yet. But Babylon was surrounding them and sieging them. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, heard about it. And so he decided to send his army north. I don't know why he sent his army north. Maybe because he was worried about the Babylonians just keep on steamrolling down into Egypt or whether he cared about Israel. I don't know. But he sent his army north. And when he did that, the Babylonians took off because they saw the Egyptians coming. And so they ran. And so maybe, maybe Zedekiah thought things had changed. Maybe he thought the situation had changed and he was hoping to hear from God that everything was going to be okay. Uh, that's, not what he, that's not what he hears. All right, verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Here it is. He's telling him specifically. If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. So he said, what you need to do is surrender. The city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. It's another name for them. Shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. So what's, what's uh, Jeremiah's medic, uh, message to Zedekiah? You better, you better give up, man. You better get out while the getting's good. God says you need to surrender because if you don't, they're going to burn this place to the ground, okay? But if you will surrender, if you could get over your pride, if you could, if you could surrender to them and give up, then everything here is going to be spared. You and your household are going to be spared. That is not what Zedekiah wanted to hear. That is not what Zedekiah wanted to hear. 
that is, that this, they were the last ones standing. I mean, Zedekiah's walking around the, the temple like, I'm still standing stronger than I ever did. While, offbeat and everything, it was terrible. So, so he's, he's thinking maybe they're going to get out of this, and Jeremiah says, no, you're going to have to give up. And if you don't, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for everybody. Zedekiah has a really big choice to make. And maybe, maybe you're like, me. actually read this story, and I think, but these are God's people, right? Maybe Zedekiah was thinking the same thing. Like, these, these, God, these, God, these are, we are children, and you've made promises to us, and surely you're not going to let the Babylonians come in and take us over. Yet it's obvious God is going to let that happen. And I read a story like this, and I'm like, why would God let that happen? Why would he let them go through that? And the reason is that they needed to go through it. Because once again, Israel had been unfaithful. Once again, they had wandered away from God. And this is, it's like a yo-yo. This is the story of the nation of Israel through the Old Testament. Yo-yo. They walk away from faithfulness in God. God does something drastic and snaps them back. And then they wander away and then he snaps them back. And they wander away and he snaps them back. And this, this is a snapback moment. And so they're going to be in exile for, for 70 years. All right. They are going to get overtaken. They're going to be taken out of the city. They're going to be in exile for seven years, but then God promises Jeremiah that they're going to come back. And it's actually kind of a funny story because a couple of chapters earlier, God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, I want you to go buy some land. You should go buy some property, an estate, a field. And so Jeremiah is like, okay, God, I'll do it. And so he goes and then he buys this field. And then God says, hey, by the way, Israel's going to get completely overtaken by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah's like, what about that field I just bought though? <laughs> what what about that land? And God's like, don't, don't worry. Coming back, okay? 70 years and then you're coming back. All right, so he knows that they're going to be overtaken and maybe you say, well, why would that happen? And the reason is because God needs to discipline them. He needs to teach them. And that happens to us too. And you may find yourself in a hard spot in life right now where you don't know what to do and you feel like you are stuck between a rock and a hard place and there's no good option. You think about Israel, it's like, this, th- these, are, these are both losses. They feel like both losses. I was looking for a win. But sometimes we go to God with a decision or a situation we're facing, and neither one looks like wins, which is where we have to trust that he, he knows what the win is in the long term. We're like, why, did he, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why am I struggling like this? It's like the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? The question gets asked all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, because karma's not a real thing. You could say that. But you might also argue that there are no good people, <laughs> that we're all sinful and fallen and we're not deserving of those good things. But even if you were to say there are good people based on the choices they make and the behavior and they're at least better than other people, even if you were to say that, the reason God lets bad things happen to good people is because bad things make good people better people. God lets bad things happen to good people because bad things make good people better people. They refine and they grow and they learn. And that's what God is doing with the nation of Israel as they go through this. And, and you know, I don't know. God, God gives us options in life, choices to make. And Zedekiah has a choice to make here. And if he chooses to do what God says, they will be spared. And if he doesn't, they won't. That's a hard place to be, a very hard place to be. But thankfully for Zedekiah, he has Jeremiah. He has somebody who is able to look at him and say, this is what God wants you to do. And I told you earlier that I'm the kind of person that needs enough information in order to make a decision. 
So I research and I do all of this stuff. This is enough information to make the decision. For Jeremiah to look at Zedekiah and say, you need to give up and let them take you over. You need to surrender so that everybody can be spared is enough information for him to make the decision. And though I don't believe that we have the office of prophet the same way they had in the Old Testament, that there aren't people that God chooses to be prophets to the nations who speak on his behalf, I do believe that God uses people in official capacities in our life to speak to us, to share his truth and to help us to see what he's saying to us. And they may be people like pastors. They may be people like teachers. They may be people like parents. They may be people like elders in a church. They may be people like counselors, people who are in official capacity who can help us to see what God wants us to do. People that we know are making decisions consistent with scripture. People that we know are listening to the spirit of God and that will help us sometimes what they do. And I'm so thankful that I've had them in my life because when I come to difficult decisions and I don't know what the word of God is saying and I don't know what the spirit is saying to me, these are people that I can talk to, people that I trust who can either show me what I'm not seeing in scripture and that's what usually happens. They say, this is what the word of God says about it. And I go, oh, I didn't see that before or that can give us insight into how to apply that scripture to our situation. Just like a prophet in the Old Testament speaking on behalf of God, God puts leaders, spiritual leaders in our life to help speak to us and guide us along the path. And it's one of the ways that we hear from him. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that we do. So now Zedekiah has two choices, but it's not what he wanted to hear. He would have preferred a secret option C. Like I can, I can almost see him. I can almost see him looking back at Jeremiah and being like, yeah, but I know, but I, there's got, I mean, there's got to be another way, right? Like some money. I mean, that's, that's how this works, right? Like if I, if I just slipped you, if I just like slipped you a little 20 here, you know, I slipped you a little 20, Jeremiah, change the story. Huh? What do you think, buddy? Jeremiah's like, not going to work. Not going to happen. Well, what if I repent? You know, I mean, that's what happened in Nineveh, right? So it was like a hundred years ago. You know, I could repent. I could put on sackcloth and ashes. We could do that thing. Is that going to work? No. No, because God has spoken. God said, you need to surrender. So he heard his voice. Jeremiah's like, I mean, I can tell you, but you're not going to do it. And what do you think Zedekiah did? I already told you he was the last king of Israel, right? So what did he do? <laughs> he held his ground. And he stuck it out. He stayed. And you know what happened? Exactly what God said was going to happen. He came in, destroyed the city, destroyed the family, took exiles out. They take all these people, they, there's a small few that are left, but they take om, almost everybody out and they take them to Babylon, which is where we read about Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all that. That's when that's happening. But exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. Jeremiah 38, now verse 28. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. All he had to do was listen to Jeremiah. All he had to do was listen to the person that God had put in spiritual authority over him. 
And he would not have endured that kind of pain. The city wouldn't have been destroyed the way that it was. And so we can learn a lesson from Zedekiah. He gives us the negative example. If we want things to go well for us, if we want to be able to follow God's plan, then when spiritual authorities speak to us, we need to listen. And when we have a decision to make and we're not sure what to do, we need to seek them out for advice and wisdom. God has put them there on purpose. And this feels a little weird for me to say because I might be in that role for you. So it feels a little bit self-serving, but I want you to know that it's not at all because that's a heavy weight that I carry and I don't ask for it or really desire it, but I carry it. And I want to help as much as I possibly can. And whatever role you may find yourself as a spiritual leader that may be in your home or maybe somewhere else, you should also do the same. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you just a few ways how to hear God's voice through leaders. All right. How to hear God's voice through leaders. First, find the leaders you trust. I cannot emphasize this one enough. You need to find spiritual leaders that you trust. Just because someone says they speak for God does not mean that they do. Just because they hold a spiritual authority role in some capacity does not mean that they are speaking for God or speaking consistently with Scripture. So don't let a title... Or don't let a position be the reason you trust somebody for this kind of direction. It needs to be somebody that you believe is truly trying to understand and apply the word of God first. And someone that you truly believe is committed to following and listening to the spirit of God. Be confident in that before you put your trust in them. Somebody who's rooted in his word and led by his spirit. Now, this was Jeremiah, the very first chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces. I love that phrase. Don't be afraid of their faces. For I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And so Jeremiah was reliable because Jeremiah was ordained by God. I just want to give you a few filters as you're thinking about who these spiritual leaders might be in your life. Who could help you walk through this decision or make this uh, decision to hear from God? A leader that you can trust is humble. There's no shortage of prideful people out there with platforms. But a leader you can trust is humble. God said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I can't do it. God said, don't worry about that. I'm with you. I take care of you. A leader that you can trust is obedient. God said to Jeremiah, you're going to be my prophet. He said, yeah, I'm, not, I'm pretty young. And God said, I'll be with you. And Jeremiah said, okay, I'll do it. And you can see him as you read through the book, consistently, boldly proclaiming the word of God. So he's obedient. A leader you can trust is confident. And again, you can see that. Confidence mixed with humility is an interesting combination. 
all right? Somebody who's humble isn't a pushover necessarily. Somebody who's humble has their strength rooted somewhere else, in someone else. Jeremiah's strength and direction came from God, and so he was fully confident in what God told him to do. And in fact, in this situation, we watch him, and he's, nobody likes what he's saying. <laughs> the reason he got thrown into prison was because he was saying, we need to surrender to these people, and everybody thought, and so actually, he buys the field, right? I told you about that. He buys the, the, the estate and uh, he says, hey, we need to surrender to these people. And then he's like, nobody's listening. So he's like, well, I'm going to go hang out in my field for a little while. So then he goes to spend some time on his property. They think he's running to join the Babylonians. <laughs> All right. So they thought he was a traitor. So they ended up throwing him into prison. People don't like what he has to say. But he was confident and he kept saying it. And even when he was face to face with Zedekiah and Zedekiah said, tell me the truth. He said, I'll tell you, you're not going to listen, but I'll tell you. He boldly said it, even though he knew he could get in trouble. So a leader you can trust is humble, they are obedient, they're confident, and they are consistent with Scripture. It's the fourth thing. They're consistent with Scripture. Now I want you to know, I know we talk about the leaders here that we follow, and that's what we're focusing on today, but the greatest leader we follow is Jesus Christ, and he is all of those things. He is the example that we follow, and he's the example that we should be looking for, even in people. Someone who's very Christ-like, who is humble, obedient, confident, and consistent with Scripture. And Christ loved us enough to give his life on the cross and to pay for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. He is our wonderful counselor. So he comes first. Everybody else, we hold up to that standard. And so whoever those leaders are that you have in your life, I want you to hold them up to that standard and say, can I really trust this person? Which makes me nervous right now as you're looking at me. All right, so can, can, I, tr can I trust it? It should, right? And uh, so can I trust this person? The second thing, so first we find the leaders we can trust. The second thing, we ask for their unfiltered biblical advice. Ask for their unfiltered biblical advice. Both of those are very intentionally chosen words. We want their advice to be biblical. And I want you to know that from me, if you ever come to me and you have a decision to make or um, you're struggling with something or need counseling, I am not a professional counselor. That is not my career. It's not my education path. I don't have a ton of experience with it. I don't have tons of strategies for you to use to work on X, Y, or Z. But this is my commitment to me and it's my commitment to you. If you come and ask me for advice, I will tell you what the Bible says about it. I will tell you what the Bible says about it. No more and no less. And if you want my opinion, I maybe I'll give it if I feel like it's consistent with the scripture, okay? And I don't like, I don't like giving that much because I know what's true and I want to go back to what's true. And so we ask for biblical advice, not just opinions, not just experience, biblical advice and unfiltered. I actually like this, that Zedekiah said this, even though he didn't really care to hear it. He said, you know, basically shoot straight with me. Tell me what I don't want to hear. Tell me what I am unwilling to tell myself. Often I find that when the message that I get isn't what I want to hear, it's an indicator that it is from God. We, we talked about that uh, a little bit last week with the, with the story of Jonah. Ben, I think, mentioned that. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons Ben knew, or that Jonah knew that God was telling him to go to Nineveh is because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. <laughs> and he couldn't escape the idea that that's what he was supposed to do. And sometimes, even sometimes this is what happens to us, by the way, we have a bad, we have a big decision to make and we, we know what the Bible says about it and we know what God is leading us to do. We just need another human being that we respect to look back at us and say it, right? We need to hear it come out of their mouth. And that's like, that's the tipping point. That, that's the final pin that tells us, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. So we go to them and we ask for their unfiltered biblical advice. They can help us find those kinds of things. If the answer were already simple and clear, 
We would have already known it. But we go to them and we ask for unfiltered biblical advice. Like I said, not just opinions. Everybody's got an opinion on everything. You can't trust them. All right. You want to start a conversation? I'm a bad conversationalist. I'm not good at starting conversations with people. I don't like it, and I'm not good at it. But I've found that one of the best ways to start a conversation with someone is to ask them their opinion about something, because they will just, Boo! you know what I mean? They will just go. So uh, we're not looking for their opinion on the situation. Unfiltered biblical advice. So we can trust on Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's all there. And you'll find that a leader that is truly committed to giving biblical advice will often say, I don't know. And if you have a leader that is unwilling to say, I don't know, or never says that, run. Okay? Because the, they're probably making stuff up. And that's not good. Because there's nobody who's an expert in the entire scripture. Okay? So that's a good sign. If they say, I don't know, I'll help you find that, that's a good sign. The answer is there. And if you don't like it, I'm going to just throw this one out there. If you don't like what they have to say, don't shoot the messenger. Because if it's biblical advice, they're just a conduit, okay? So don't get mad at them. If you don't like what they have to say, listen to it and respect it because this is somebody you've already established that you trust. All right, ask for their unfiltered biblical advice. And then the third thing, you ready for this? Do what they say, even if you don't understand. That's, a, that's an awkward one to say. Do what they say, even if you don't understand. I've had times in my life where I've had decisions to make and I've had leaders that have told me what I needed to do, and I didn't fully get why I needed to do that. It didn't make sense. And I am a processor, and I like to understand why everything's happening, and I like to understand how all the dominoes are going to fall, and I didn't fully understand how they were supposed to fall in that situation, which is why you need, if you're following leaders you trust, say, okay, I'm going to trust you on this. I'll do it, and we'll see what happens. And that's a scary thing, but... If God is going to call you to a place where you've never been, you're going to have to walk a path you've never walked. You're going to have to do something that's scary. You're going to, if you don't understand how to get from point A to point B right now, then that leader is going to show you how to get there. But it's probably going to be scary. And it's going to probably be unknown, which is why you need to trust them if they've met all of those other conditions that we talked about. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. I actually love the way that's worded. It doesn't say you're wise in your present days. <laughs> Wisdom comes with time. It comes with experience. It comes with patience. And so Solomon here is saying, Hey, listen to the wise people around you. They're going to help you get one day to the point where you two are wise. But you need to trust them now. I think that the, uh, unfortunately, the uh, humility that it takes to listen to people who are further along has been lost in many ways in our generation, particularly my generation and the generations coming up behind me. We think we know better, like a kid who thinks they know more than their parents do. I've got three of those myself. And they're all still pre like too young to do that. We value young and innovative more than we value older and wiser. 
We need to get over that if we want to make progress. We want to make good decisions if we want to move forward. Uh, I was actually just a kind of quick little story, but um, this week, my, my hobby, many of you know my hobby is working on guitars, finding old beat-up guitars and getting them back in good shape. And um, I was working on this one guitar, and I'd rewired the entire inside of this. It's an electric guitar. Rewired the entire inside, and I just couldn't get it working. Couldn't do it. And uh, I was getting this terrible ground hum, this buzz, and it would pop when I touched the metal. And I knew it was a grounding issue, but I, I didn't, I could not trace it down. I kept looking back over all my wiring and everything was exactly like I'd drawn it up and it all should have worked. And I've done this, you know, a hundred times before and I should have been able to work it out and I couldn't figure it out. And so I posted uh, on a forum, uh, an online forum that I'm on and, uh, and I, you know, put a picture of my wiring diagram and I, you know, said everything that was going on, even did a video of what was happening so they could see it. And a guy wrote back and he said, he said, oh, you just need to move your ground wire from your tone pot to your volume pot. Just move that end from here to here. And I wrote back to him and I was like, I mean, I hear you, but I know that shouldn't make a difference. And, you know, I've done it this way many times before and I never had a problem before. And uh, I'm thinking that it's got to be something else. You know, it's got to be something else. And he wrote back and he said, I have a degree in electrical engineering. What's your degree in? <laughs> business <laughs> so guess what I did I wired it the way he told me to and guess what happened it worked <laughs> yeah you need to learn to listen to the people that have the wisdom and the experience to to help us through those things I think oftentimes shame or fear or whatever pride keeps us from asking someone for help. And if you're facing a big decision and you don't know what to do and you're trying to make that decision on your own, you're not going to gather any more information to make the decision on your own. So continue reading scripture, continue praying, and one of the best things you can do is find someone in a position of spiritual authority and ask them. And I'm, I'd be willing to help you with that. We have, um, you have group leaders. Many of you are in groups and you have group leaders that you can go to or ministry team leaders. We have a board of elders at the church that are all people that are very spiritually mature and can help you work through those. Uh, we have counselors in our church who would be willing to help you through the situations that you're in, but just don't go through it alone because we hear from God from his word. We hear from him from his spirit and we hear from him through his leaders. That's a great resource that's available to you. And if you're facing a decision or a problem or a struggle right now, don't do it alone. Get some help. First of all, from Christ. And second of all, from his children. All right, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you um, that even when we're going through difficult times, you're here with us and um, you lead us and you've not left us here alone. That's one of the great things about the church. You sent your son to earth, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for our sin Christ, you rose again in power and victory. And because of that, if we simply put our faith in you, we believe that you did that for us, then we become your children. Not only does that mean that we can read your word and understand it and know what your plan is for our life in that way, but you place your spirit within us to lead us and guide us and to point us in the right direction and to help to train us and discipline us. And you've also put us within a body of believers with other people. And you've given people roles within that body when they prove faithful so that they can help others. And so when we're going through a difficult decision, we don't need to rely on, our, on ourselves, on our own intellect and our own way of understanding. We don't have to rely on everybody's opinion on what to do. But you've put people around us that can help. 
So give us the humility to go to them and ask. Give us the discernment to know who we can trust and who we shouldn't. And help us to be willing and humble enough to receive what they have to say to us so that we can truly hear from you and do what you believe is best for our life. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.